0: Genesis 42, I don't know if you heard um, in the news about a month ago, I think it was back in July, there's a woman named Doris Payne. She's um, now 86 years old. Uh, She's an international jewelry thief. And some I hear some of have heard of that story before, but um, she's um, she's been arrested many times for stealing jewelry. She's stolen over two million dollars worth of jewelry over the last 60 years of her life. She started in her 20s stealing jewelry, and she's gone all over the world, Um, Tokyo, Monaco, I mean, L.A., New York, and and stolen uh, jewelry. Um, In July, unfortunately, she was arrested again um, in Atlanta in a Walmart for stealing $86 worth of jewelry. Um, There's a whole documentary about her. Halle Berry is like in this movie about her, but they asked her uh, after she had been arrested. So uh, what are the lessons learned? What, what, would you, what would your advice be to other people who might want to uh, take up this life of crime? And she said, I, I do not regret stealing any jewelry in my whole life. She said, I only regret getting caught. <laughs> Isn't that sad? So sad. Now, obviously, this is not a model of repentance, Okay, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, We have been studying Genesis since the beginning of the year. And and for the past few weeks in particular, we've been looking at Joseph and uh, he's been betrayed. He's been sold into slavery by his brothers. But God's hand is mighty. God has not forgotten him. God has allowed him to use his gifts of administration of leadership of dream interpretation to rise to the top of wherever and whatever situation he finds himself in and so even though he's been falsely accused and imprisoned after being in Egypt for um, 22 years he's lifted up to this position of a grand vizier we talked about that last week which is basically um, prime minister or CEO of the or of the entire nation of Egypt And we find him overseeing a a massive humanitarian aid distribution. There there was a famine, and people are coming from all around the world to buy grain from Joseph and from Egypt, and Joseph is overseeing that. In Genesis chapters 42 through 45, we find a long section of narrative It's really one kind of um, story or one thought, but it is quite long. And it describes the Joseph's brother's journeys back and forth from Canaan or the promised land to Egypt to buy food and then going back up to Canaan again and coming back down again and all the different things that happen. And it finally ends with Joseph revealing his identity, who he is and being reconciled with his brothers I don't know if you've ever gone through this particular section of Scripture before or not. Um, it is quite long, and as I went through, I asked myself, why is so much space dedicated to this going back and forth, and why is so much detail dedicated to the, the conversations that they're having as they have these discussions? And I also wonder, why is so much kindness shown to the brothers, as we go through today you'll see there's many instances of God showing kindness to these brothers. And then I began to think, why does it take Joseph to say, why does it Joseph take? Why does it take Joseph so long to say who he is? When he met the brothers for the first time, why didn't he just say, "Hey guys, it's me, Joseph." He doesn't do that. He he holds off and he waits until the very end to finally reveal who he was. Why does he do that? And what is God trying to do through Joseph? These are the questions that I had to ask myself. And I hope these are the questions that we'll be able to answer this morning. At the end of the day, it all has to do with repentance. God had a plan. He was using Joseph to bring uh, both Jacob and the brothers to repentance before they moved to Egypt to escape the famine. God wanted to save them, but it was necessary that they repent first. Amen. In Romans 2, Paul says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God has a way of softening us up, buttering up our hearts, and being kind to us to get us to turn to Him. And I think that's some of what we see this afternoon as well. As we read, uh, we'll find that Joseph may have seemed harsh at times, but... As we look this afternoon, I think we'll see how kind God really was to him, and we'll see how important it is to God that we are also brought to repentance. Amen? The title for the lesson this morning is God's Kindness Leads Us to Repentance. Sorry about the white on white. It's kind of hard to read, but it's just best I could do a short amount of time. Um, Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll dive in. God, our King, our Father in Heaven, we um, love you, Father. We are just so thankful for your love in our lives. What would we do without you? Surely we couldn't wake up, we couldn't take a breath, we couldn't blink, our hearts couldn't beat if it weren't for you. You are totally and thoroughly um, involved in our lives, and you're the foundation for our lives, and we want to give you that honor and that recognition and that praise this morning for being who you are. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your son, who's died on the cross for our sins. Through him, we have atonement. We have reconciliation. We have salvation, Father. Through him, we get to see an example of love and of humility. Please let us imitate him. We do want to offer up prayers for those that are in the path of Hurricane Irma right now. Uh, I think that the, the hurricane is making landfall as we speak. I know that there are lives that are in danger. We just pray that there would be um, very little, if any, loss of life. We pray that um, homes would uh, not be too destroyed. We pray that um, everyone would sit back and and sit in awe of your amazing power as this force of nature goes through the state of Florida. Please keep everyone safe, Father. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to try to condense this one narrative, three and a half chapters, into one sermon. So please, bear with me. This could really easily be three or four sermons, but I'm just going to really try to get it into one. The reason why is because we're preparing for our October campaign. Uh, we're going to be finishing up Genesis and going into Exodus, and the theme for the campaign will be liberated, because in Exodus the uh, Jews were liberated from Pharaoh. Amen. So, uh, along with that, we'll have a Troaz night That's at the end of September, I think, 20, the 26th, I think When was it, Joe? 29th, maybe so I think it's the last Friday in September uh, It'll be on the um, three feasts or festivals So, uh, come on out for that Anyway, let's look at Genesis chapter 42 Beginning in verse 1 The Bible says, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt He said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was a famine in the land of Canaan also. I'm not going to read all three and a half chapters. I'm just going to kind of tiptoe, skim the surface, okay? But famine had spread, not just in Egypt, but it had spread north into Canaan as well. Jacob and his sons needed food, and so he sends his sons to go and buy some. And if you notice, it's 22 years later now, from the time that Joseph was originally sold to the Egyptians, and Jacob still has suspicions about his sons. Jacob still does not trust his sons with Benjamin, who is Joseph's father full-blood brother, the second son of Rachel. He keeps him back while the other ten go and buy the grain. It doesn't seem like this is the first time that they find out about the grain available in Egypt because it sounds like Jacob is kind of um, frustrated, right? Like they're, they're looking at each other, almost like he had told them, go buy some grain, and they don't buy any grain. They just kind of look at each other, look at each other. He's like, guys, stop looking at each other. Go buy some grain, right? But if you could imagine why they may have been hesitant Probably because the mere mention of Egypt put light on the secret that they had kept hidden in darkness for the last 22 years. Did I say the point? The point is God stirs our conscience. You can put up my next slide, by the way. God stirs our conscience. And so just the mere mention of Egypt, the secret that they had kept hidden for 22 years... Begins to come out into the light. And they don't want it to come out into the light. They don't want to think about Egypt. They don't want to go to Egypt. Because they had never come clean. And the thought of going to Egypt. Conjured up images of, of maybe we're going to be traveling down the road. And as we go there will be this uh, chain gang of slave laborers. And we'll have to look over. And <gasps> there will be our brother Joseph. You know like I don't know breaking rocks or something. And he's all emaciated. And clothes and tatters. And. They just didn't want to face the facts and the reality of what they had done. As much as we may stuff our guilt, time does not erase a guilty conscience. God was using the pressure of this famine to get them to Egypt and to stir their consciences about their brother. He also uses similar treatment to stir their consciences. Look in verse 8 now. It says, Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies! You've come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We're all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said, You've come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the son of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not replace unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. And so, why doesn't he just tell them again? This is his first time uh, seeing these guys. The Bible says that he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Egyptians were clean-shaven. The the Hebrews normally wore beards, right? 22 years later, the last time they saw him, he was 17. Now he's, what, 39 years old. He probably looks a lot different. He's speaking in Hebrew, um, in Egyptian. He's not speaking Hebrew. He's dressed completely different now, and he's got a position of authority He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And you could think like, all right, I got the power now. Right? Like, I'm in a position of leverage. I'm in a position of authority. I can do whatever I want to these guys. But he doesn't. He doesn't reveal himself. As we read, there's so much pushback, accusations of spying, sending them to jail. He treats them kind of mean, it seems like. But I think that he's doing the same thing to them that that they did to him. Remember, think back to um, to Dothan. Joseph was sent out to be dispatched to kind of check up on his brothers while they were tending the flocks, right? And the Bible doesn't say this. I'm just kind of speculating that once he got there, they probably asked him, What are you doing? Are you here to spy on us? Right? And then Joseph would have said, no, I'm not here to spy on you, which is exactly what they said. No, we're not spies. And then they would have answered him harshly. Yeah, you are. You're here to spy on us, just like you did with the sons of Bilhah and of Zilpah, right? And Joseph does the exact same thing. He answers them harshly. You are spies. And then at the end of the day, what do they do? They throw Joseph in the hole. And what does Joseph do? The Bible says that he puts them all in custody for three days. I think that he's replaying Dothan all over again with these guys. And so, again, the Bible doesn't say that. That's my um, personal opinion. But have you ever done someone wrong and you don't really get it until it's been done to you? Until you've walked in those same shoes? My bicycle was stolen in fifth grade. My dad bought me this bike, right? I used to ride it to school, to elementary school. Back then, you could do that because no one was going to snatch you off the streets, right? So I used to ride my bike to elementary school, fifth grade, and someone stole my bike one day. And I was really upset about it. As I got into high school, I got into stealing. I've told the story many times before, but I ended up breaking into someone's house and I stole their bicycle, and I, in my mind, just kind of thought, well, you know, it's kind of payback in a sense. It wasn't the person that stole my bike but my bike was stolen. I can get my, I can steal a bike. But then, when I was in high school a little bit later on, what did I just say? Did someone steal? Stole- <laughs> Hold on, let me catch my notes here. So, stole the bike. Right, yes. my bike was stolen. Then I went and stole a bike. Okay. Then in high school, all right, here we go. In high school, my bike was stolen again. Different bicycle. And when it happened, I just felt really guilty because I, all the flashbacks were going in my mind like, oh, I remember breaking into that guy's house. I stole his bicycle. And now here, my bicycle is being stolen. And I just remember feeling like, man, like. This is really horrible, like somehow I'm being paid back. for I didn't believe in God at the time, but I just felt like somehow I'm being paid for what I've done wrong. Now, I kept stealing, unfortunately, but I did stop stealing bicycles at that time. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. I bought a bicycle this past Christmas. I've told you guys about that, right? And I told you about the red bicycle, same color as my very first bicycle in fifth grade. In February, that bicycle was stolen. I didn't tell the congregation about that, but my bicycle was stolen I had it on the back of my car I went to lunch over here uh, off of up of Northampton at the Max and Irmas I came out boom bike gone off the back of the car. Steve Stevenson was with me and we walked out and he's like, bro, where's your bike?" I thought one of the other staff guys would put it in their trunk or something Ed you know so I'd go to Ed I'm like "Come on, Ed, give me my bike and he's like He's like, no, bro, seriously. I'm like, no, Ed, this is the type of thing you do. Give me my bike. He's like, no, seriously. I didn't take it. And then I began to think, oh, no. My bike's really been stolen. But I immediately thought, but I've stolen somebody's bike before. Because I was really tempted to get indignant. But I thought, I've stolen bikes. I've stolen far more than bikes. And I've done much worse than that. So Steve was kind of walking around with me. I was calling the cops and everything. And he was like, bro, I'm so, he was so empathetic. He's like, I'm so sorry. Somebody took your bike. And I know that you really like riding bikes. And like the next day he texted me, did you ever get your bike back? And and I was kind of cavalier, nonchalant, like, you know, no, I didn't get it back. It's going to be all right. And and then I seen a staff. He's like, so like, you just don't seem very affected by that. And I told him the story. You know, my conscience was stricken when that bicycle was stolen because I've stolen someone's bike before. And while I might be tempted to be indignant and and really be upset, I realize that I kind of, I don't know if I say I deserve it. I mean, I don't know if I want to say I deserve it, but I understand it. And that's the point that I'm trying to make here, that God has a way of letting us relive situations to help us to get the things that we've done wrong. He does that to stir our consciences. And so in the prison, the brothers' consciences had the chance to be stirred as they reflected on what Joseph must have felt. They're there for three days. Joseph was there for probably less than one day. And here in Genesis chapter 42, verse 18, it says, On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you're an honest man, if you're an honest, man, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back to your starving households. But you must bring your younger brother to me so that your words may be ver- verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. And so here we see a speck of God's kindness. He-, he wanted them to go get his brother Benjamin and bring him back. He hadn't seen him in 22 years. And so he lets them out of prison with a gracious bargain. The initial contract was, all of you stay here except for one. One of you goes back and bring your brother Benjamin back. He keeps him in prison for three days. He comes out and he's gracious. He says, okay, all of you can go except for one. And what that would have allowed them to do is actually take enough grain home for their families because one person wouldn't have been able to carry all that grain. But the remaining nine of them were able to do that. And so you see Joseph being kind, Joseph being benevolent to them, even as he's suffering. The Bible says that um, in verse 24, he turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. And so Joseph, it seems like he was being harsh, but on the inside, he was really soft. He was really tender towards what his brother brothers had done and this kindness he was using to hopefully win them over. And so their bags were all filled with grain. Um, all their money was returned and they were given provisions for the trip. Again, another um, window into God's kindness. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of losing my space here in my notes. I apologize. Um that's what I wanted to say. Verse 21. So this, um, this time in prison kind of evoked a, uh, a confession of sorts. It says, Surely we were being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this, this distress has come on us. Reuben replies, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. This is 22 years later. He's still holding on to it. (laughs) Now we must give an accounting for his blood. And so they spent this time in, in, in the prison. And it may seem like, okay, well, they're confessing. They're at least admitting that they did something wrong. But they haven't really repented yet. Because by Reuben's statement, he's really just upset that they have to give an accounting for Joseph's blood. You know what? We did this wrong. You guys, you messed it up. I told you. And now we've got to pay the price. I'm mad that we're getting caught. I'm not mad at what we've actually done. In order for there to be repentance, our consciences must be stirred by God. 2 Corinthians 7 says Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. And so we have to see how our sin affects God and how it affects others. Ask yourself, is there anything on your heart this afternoon? Maybe something hidden that your conscience is moving you to bring into the light. Maybe it's something that you've stuffed, thinking that if I just stuff it long enough, that it'll go away. I encourage you to learn the lesson from Joseph's brothers. Time in and of itself does not ease a guilty conscience. We've got to repent. We've got to come clean before God. Are you with me? And so God may be stirring your conscience this morning and leading you toward repentance. Don't keep it hidden. Bring it into the light. Second point, God tests our repentance. This point will be a little bit longer. God tests our repentance. So after um, they, they, they bind Simeon, put him in jail, the other nine go home. And on their way home, one of them, they, they stopped for the night and one of them opens up his sack of grain and he finds silver in a sack, money in a sack. Verse 28 says, uh, my silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other, trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? have the same reaction in verse 35 it says as they were emptying their sacks there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver when they and their father saw the money pouches they were frightened have you ever gone through a, a drive through and um you, you get down the road you open up your your bag of food and you realize i got an extra fry right or, i got an extra big mac right or, i got an extra drink or something like that that's like a cool feeling right I mean, like, if you're, like, right there at the drive-thru window, probably the best thing to do is say, hey, you gave me an extra fry, but if you've already driven down the road, you know what I'm saying, statute of limitations is kind of over at that point, I get to keep the fry, I mean, who wants to drive all the way back, go through the drive-thru line, but when that happens, that's like, that's like a blessing, you're fired up about that, right? The same thing happened with Joseph's brothers. They, they're, they're coming back. They open up their sacks and the money that they had brought to pay for the grain is right there in their sacks again. But they don't see it as a blessing. They say, uh, what is this that God has done to us? And they tremble and they're frightened. Their guilty consciences were going against them at this point. God's kindness they saw as a threat. Now, I don't have time to get into Jacob's um, self-focus, his pity parties. We just don't have enough time for it. You can go back and read it yourself. Joseph just was not, not, not Joseph, Jacob, I'm sorry, was not in a good place during this time in his life. OK, uh, they, they go back, they explain the entire story to him and they're saying, hey, this man is trying to say that, um, you know, Simeon's down there. He's bound and he's trying to say that if we're, he's going to get released, we need to bring Benjamin down here with us. But uh, Jacob, he doesn't budge. In verse 38, it says, But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, meaning Joseph, he thinks, and he's the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. And so he's not willing to run the risk of something happening to Benjamin in order to get Simeon back, his other son. So you can see the favoritism is still there in Jacob's heart. He favored Benjamin over Simeon, and he didn't want to give him up. Simeon, by the way, was the second oldest child, second son of Leah, and he was the one right after Reuben. Now, Simeon and Levi, remember, they were the violent ones. They had gone to Shechem, and they had slaughtered the entire village, right? back, in, I can't remember which chapter. You can go back and see it. But these guys were violent and probably... Simeon was the one who orchestrated the plan to kill Joseph in the first place. Genesis 49, when Jacob eventually blesses his sons, he says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they please. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their fury so cruel. And so here in this next verse in Genesis 43, one, look at what it says. It says, now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us, buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, the man warned us solemnly. You will not see my face again until your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. This is so crazy. The reason why it's crazy is because the reason for their second return to Egypt was not Simeon is in jail. We need to go get Simeon. He's been down there for a long time now. Scholars think this is probably at least nine months. He's been down there. The thing that gets them talking about going back to Egypt again their bellies their bellies we're hungry we're running out of food and Jacob's like why don't you go on down and try to get some more food man what about Simeon and even when they bring it up and they say well if we go we got to bring Benjamin with us he's still resistant to it he's not even thinking about his other son that's locked up in prison crazy crazy So all that time that they've been eating their grain, Simeon has been in jail in Egypt and no one says a single thing about it. Mm. Anyway, the only thing that gets um, uh, Jacob to to allow Benjamin to go was Judah now steps up and personally guarantees the safety in Genesis 43, beginning verse eight says, then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me. And we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Again, that shows how long it had been since they had been back down there. And so they end up going back and taking back the silver that was left in their sacks because they didn't want to be accused of stealing money. They um, explain it to Joseph's steward once they get to Egypt. And uh, they're, they're treated with kindness. Even the second time around, uh, Genesis 43, verse 23 now, it says, it's all right, he says, don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. Again, God is treating you with kindness, He's blessing you. Even though you've messed up, God is giving you something good. You should see it that way. But they did not see it that way. He says, I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And so this, uh, after this, Joseph treats them to this elaborate feast. Uh, They eat, they drink, they're merry. Now I'm down in verse 34. It says, when portions were served to them from Joseph's table... Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. So here's the question again. Why doesn't Joseph reveal himself at this point? Doesn't he issue the test? Doesn't he say, hey, you guys are spies. Go back, get your brother that I haven't seen in 22 years, right? They go back, they get the brother, come back down. And then he sees his brother. He weeps. They have a really good time. They bring the money back, like everything's cool. Why doesn't at this point, why doesn't he say, guys, we're having such an awesome time. I'm so glad you brought back Benjamin. I just want to let you know, I'm your brother. I'm Joseph. Surprise, right? <laughs> why doesn't he do that? I think the reason why is because that first trip back up to, uh, to the promised land was a test for Jacob. The brothers hadn't even been tested yet. Jacob needed to be tested. It was not the brothers' test. Jacob, he was the one who resisted letting them go to Egypt in the first place. And remember, it was Jacob's favoritism of Rachel's sons that was the breeding ground for the hatred in the very beginning. And so God wanted to know, Jacob, will you repent of your favoritism? and give your favored son in exchange in a sense for your worst son are you willing to repent and trust your sons who have messed up before at least you ex- you suspect them of messing up before are you willing to trust them now with your favorite son benjamin Are you willing to treat Benjamin just like you do the rest of your sons? That was the test. And so God uses time and pressure to expose us. And Jacob was caught. If he wanted to live, he had to repent and he had to risk Benjamin. Otherwise, he wasn't going to eat. And so that's what it's like when we come to Jesus. I I think of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he said, Lord, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, in essence, in a nutshell, tells him, repent, sell all your all of your possessions. Then come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. For those thinking about following Jesus, in what way does God want you to repent? How is he using time and pressure to test your repentance? What does he want you to turn from? Because everybody has something. He wants everybody to give up something in their lives so that they can go and follow him, just like he had something for Jacob to give up in his life. And when we repent, we're able to come to God and we're able to be reconciled to him. This took some time, but Jacob finally repented and he passed the test. Amen. After this, we don't see any more signs of blatant favoritism from Jacob in the book of Genesis. It's like an amazing thing. And so let's move on here. Genesis chapter 44, beginning in verse 1. We'll move on to the brother's test. It says, Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry, and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to a steward, Go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why will we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my lord's slaves. Very well, then, he says. Let it be as you said. Say, whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this they tore their clothes, then they all loaded up their donkeys and returned to the sea like, Oh man, we got to go back to Egypt again! So you can imagine how these guys must have felt. They, they leave on such a high note, like, wow, this is so great. We're returning home. We just got treated like, like royalty by Joseph. Simeon is with us. Benjamin is going back with us. We got the whole family together. Dad's going to be fired up. This is going to be awesome. And then all of a sudden, here comes a steward. Hey, guys, let me check your sacks. And it was all a plot from Joseph again. To test the brothers. Wow. So as this dilemma comes up, Judah steps up again and he gives the longest speech in Genesis and he offers himself as a slave in place of his brother. Look over in Genesis 44, verse 33. And I know we're skipping like a whole lot here. But it says, Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. And so Judah's repentance is shown by his deeds. He doesn't try to save or protect himself this time around, he has a completely different mindset and heart than he did 22 years before he's learned the lesson and this is exactly what joseph is looking for and he's ready to sacrifice himself so that his brother can go free and his father can avoid misery he didn't do that before the last time when he had the opportunity he said i'm not going to sacrifice myself joseph can die or let me sell him and i'm going to go home and count my money And he didn't care about what Jacob felt at the time. They went home and they lied to Jacob and they kept the lie for 22 years. And so as the brothers are coming back and forth, back and forth, before Joseph reveals who he is, he wants to be sure. Have you guys repented? Have you changed? Are you just the same old, same old brothers? Fortunately, God uses all of this to help the brothers to change and God uses circumstances in our lives. He's not there to to get us to repent because He's mad or angry at us. He's kind. He wants us to repent because He loves us. And yeah, He uses pressure in our lives. He uses circumstances and situations and He boxes us in the corners at times, but it's all for a good reason. It's all for a good purpose. He wants the darkness to be revealed. He wants us to come clean so that we can move on with our lives. Amen. Amen. uh, Judah, sorry, he learns that he finally is his brother's keeper. You know, Judah, what Judah has done here, it points to this, um, the same willing sacrifice that Jesus Christ had many, many years later. Jesus was descended from the line of Judah. You know the song, hail, hail, line of Judah judah right not line of dan you know <laughs> judah and so reuben had um reuben had kind of um lost his position as the firstborn in the family he slept with jacob's wife concub- his concubine and so judah now steps up judah now assumes the rights of the firstborn and leadership within the family which is why he's offering himself as surety and protection for benjamin Judah shows this great maturity in being willing to sacrifice his life on behalf of Benjamin. And we see that played out later on, many years later, in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave himself for us on the cross so that we could go free in the same way that Judah gave his life so that Benjamin could go free. All of this to test and to teach these guys genuine repentance. Not merely being sorry and asking God for forgiveness, but a godly sorrow for our sins that results in a change of mind, a change of emotions, and a change of will. True repentance is genuinely sorry for sin in a way that righteous actions are pursued and sin is avoided. Not merely lip service in words, not merely boo-hoo, boo-hoo and tears running, down our, the, the, the tears running down our cheeks. God expects us to change and to be different. Amen? Amen? And God's kindness is intended to lead us here. God could have been far more harsh. He could have left them in the prison for years, like Joseph was left there for years. He could have, Joseph could have sought revenge or just killed them. Joseph could have enslaved them. Uh, They could have not given back the money. Joseph could have not lessened the penalties. All kinds of ways and avenues that God could have been harsh, but instead God was kind, leading them to repentance. This is how God is with us. He wants all men to come to repentance, but He is kind, He is patient, and He is forbearing and not treating us as our sins deserve. Will you repent this afternoon? Will you repent this afternoon? Christians and non-Christians alike, I'm talking to everybody in the room this morning. Repentance is necessary for salvation. And regretting hurt from sin is not enough. Like, oh, I just, I just regret, that, like the woman, that I got caught. I'm so sorry that I have to go to jail. That's not repentance and that's not enough. That doesn't cleanse our hearts. That doesn't change our minds. It doesn't change our wills. It doesn't change our emotions. We end up just like the woman Doris Payne in and out of jail over the course of 60 years doing the exact same thing. And every time crying boo-hoo tears. When God wants us to change Our sin has to be forsaken It has to be turned from It has to be despised And we need to put ourselves In the hands of Jesus and repent Without it there's no reconciliation From God If you're not a Christian A disciple of Jesus Christ Prayerfully your conscience has been stirred this morning yeah. And you see the need to repent And to put your faith in Jesus He is your only hope there is no one else there is no thing else there's no amount of money there's no house there's no car there's no relationship where you're going to find the comfort and the security that you need besides through jesus christ as disciples we are not beyond the need for repentance we still sin and yes we're saved but sin still puts distance between us and god And even between each other, sin puts space between us. And so let's repent, and let's turn to God and be reconciled. Finally, Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. He had seen how they had repented. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. And so Joseph finally reveals himself. Not only does he reveal himself, but he reveals who has truly been behind the scenes throughout this entire ordeal, which is God himself. He says, God sent him to them to save lives. God sent him to preserve a remnant and to deliver them. And the brothers did not send him there. God did. God had a plan all along to deliver his people from famine to save them, and to preserve the line of Abraham. And men's evil deeds cannot stop this plan. God works even through our wickedness for his purposes and for his glory. But he does highly value repentance. He'll stir our consciences, and he'll test us to bring it about through his kindness. Let's see. Let's watch how God is doing this in our lives each and every day. Amen? Amen. Amen.